My identity is in Jesus Christ alone. And while the young lady, I don't even know her name, I don't even know who was saying it, but I was in the back and I was listening to, you know, we all struggle with identity, right? I'm sorry, but that's really new to me because I knew what I was struggling with for all those years. And of course, now with so much attention on identity and on other issues that are in the world, it didn't even dawn on me that you struggle with your identity too. And as I was standing in back and as those ladies were singing, I was I was feeling my inadequacies, of course, all this morning. And even when I woke up, I, I found it even very difficult to pray. It was like I was being blocked. And I said, okay, well, I'll do the best I can. And then it hit me while I was standing in the back and tears started coming in my eyes a little bit is that my identity is in Jesus Christ alone. That's it. I'm not identified by my attractions. I'm not identified by my history, by my past. I'm identified in Jesus Christ alone. You know what? Let's have closing prayer. I think that's it. (laughs) Sorry, you don't get away that easy. But wow, how beautiful that I'm not identified by anything but Jesus Christ. And he said, he said that his strength is made perfect in my weakness. So stay down. Just stay down. Just recognize that there's just no way that you can do this on your own. If we can't do it on our own, that means that his strength is always then perfect. And that's when we can receive it best, right? He didn't ask us to do it on our own. He wanted to cooperate with us. He wanted us to work in partnership with him. Isn't that really the intimacy that we all desire? David. Let me tell you something. We have a saying in Tennessee. I don't know if it's filtered into Virginia yet, but in Tennessee we say, you and me are down like two flat tires. And, and I say that because what he was sharing this morning, I'm even using some of your verses you know, that, that, that the Lord impressed you with this morning. And so that was another affirmation to me that, that God is speaking, right? Thank you for being surrendered to him that I might get the affirmation that, that I can work for him also. Wow, what a beautiful day, huh? So with that, I'd like to open in prayer as we begin. Thank you, Lord, for an identity that I don't deserve. Thank you, Lord, that you have given me above and beyond anything that I could ever ask or even want. And yet, Lord, because you asked me to identify in you and you alone, it washes away everything else. And I'm new. I'm a new creature in Christ, not because of what I've done, (laughs) but because of what you've done. So, Lord, these people have come and they expect something. And I know, Lord, that you're going to deliver. And I pray, Lord, that you'll use me if it's your desire. I thank you, Lord, for part one that David gave so eloquently this morning and Um, I was so moved by that, Lord, as you affirmed what I want to share today. So, Lord, we're asking for something divine and that you would use something, Lord, that's weak and human and frail. So, Lord, take us on a journey, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Technology, it's a gift and a curse, isn't it? see if this works. Okay. All right. Wow, it worked. Okay, great. So whose salvation is it anyway? I think it's just going to open up some things this morning. I hope you're in the mood to kind of go on a journey with me. I'm going to run a little bit rogue, I think. I think. It just depends. If the Holy Spirit kicks in, it'll be a roller coaster, okay? So Coming Out Ministries has been around now for 10 years. 
For 10 years, we've had opportunities to go worldwide, internationally, talking about not just the LGBT issue, but about sexual purity. But not just about sexual purity, about victory of overcoming through the power of Jesus Christ. Now, you're going to get used to doing that a little bit more because I really want to talk about the power of Jesus Christ. The power of Jesus Christ has gotten so watered down in our religion and our experience. And, you know, there's so many of us that are just going through the motions. We're going through the motions and we show up for church every week and we look pretty good. You know, we can clean up, right? We know how to comb our hair, if you have any. We know how to fix ourselves up and we look pretty good. But are you really experiencing the power of Jesus Christ? Because if you're experiencing the power of Jesus Christ then you would have something to give to somebody like me that is struggling. And in this world where we're talking about social constructs and, and, and different ideologies that come straight from the depths of hell, if you don't know that the power of Jesus Christ is still alive and well today, then you're just going to sit back and let the world take over. If you don't know that your identity is in Jesus Christ, then how are you going to help me to know what my identity is too? Isn't that right? And if you think that your identity is exclusive and that excludes people like me, then you've missed the message completely. Isn't that true? Coming out ministries, our vision, and I think that it's much broader than just our ministry about sexuality and identity. It says, our vision is to ignite an unquenchable fire that restores all men and women back to the image of our creator God. Isn't that what happened in the Garden of Eden? Isn't that what happened to Adam and Eve? Is they got, they got messed up. They got deceived. And something precious was taken away. And so from Genesis to Revelation, isn't that what God's trying to do? Get us back to the image of our Creator God? That doesn't mean that we mutilate our bodies. That doesn't mean that we, that we wash away the, the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. What He did on the cross establishes the fact that I can now have that creation back inside of me, the way that I was meant to be. It's not a watered-down version where we just say that, well, I'm just going to sin until Jesus comes. But instead, he says that through his word, and if I allow him to work inside of me, I have the ability to be back into the image of my creator that I was created to be. That was pretty lame. Did I shock you? (laughs) Are you guys... (laughs) I think that that's pretty powerful, isn't it? Okay, so let's start talking about COVID because, David, you brought it up and I'm just going to drag it out. We're going to beat this thing until it's gone. Wouldn't that be great? We could just talk about it until we have to take off our mask and just walk free. I want to share with you some like really valuable things that I think um, you may not be aware of. But while I was in Europe for six months, God gave me the opportunity to be in Europe for six months. I was only supposed to be there for two weeks. And, and the government of Germany, they said that I couldn't come unless I stayed 90 days. I thought, no problem. Wouldn't that be great? I'll speak for two weeks and then I'll have a 90-day vacation in Europe. But that wasn't God's plan. And for almost every single weekend, I had somewhere where I was speaking. I got added invitations. I was speaking in churches. I was speaking at conferences. I was speaking at home churches. I was speaking in schools. It was glorious. I would wake up in the morning and i say, Lord, thank you for being spontaneous. I'm not a really organized person. And if you expect for me to show up on time, that would be a challenge. But I'm telling you, if you have something spontaneous that you want me to do, I'm in. All right. So while I was there in Europe, what was really amazing is I thought to myself, well, I'm probably going to get COVID, you know, being around a lot of people, being on planes, public transportation, trains, buses, cars, being with countless people, living in their uh, in their houses, sleeping on their sofas, being in nice beds or whatever. I even got a new set of teeth, but that's later. 
It really is amazing. But anyway, so um, as I was having these opportunities, I thought to myself, you know, I'll do the best that I can and God will bless it because that's what he does. And so can you believe that I actually left uh, a wonderful family, a Colombian family that have adopted me and they, they treat me like a son slash brother and I'm still several years older than them. But they designated a room in their house for me because I sold my house two years ago because I was just working so much that I get to do this on a regular basis. So when I left them, and went to Europe, a month later, they got COVID, both of them, and they both got sick. Isn't it interesting that I was also speaking in um, Austria at a seminary school, and I was going to go back because I've been working on some resources with some of the people there. And isn't it interesting that I left, and I was going to go back to Austria when I was done speaking twice in Switzerland, which was my third visit to Switzerland. But when I left, I got a phone call from the education department, and she said, it's a good thing you left when you did, because three days later, two students got covid And then they tested everybody, and they found that 10 of the students had COVID. They shut the school down and sent all the students home. I was also in Austria the first time, and I was going to Germany, and I was going to leave like on Wednesday. But then we found out that if you you leave on Wednesday to go to Germany, you have to automatically be tested for COVID, and you have to go in quarantine for two weeks. So I went 24 hours earlier so that I didn't have to endure all of that. God is amazing the way he opens up and closes doors in such a way that it's been six months and I still haven't got COVID. Not because of what I've done, but because of what he's done. So how is it that we as Christians can walk in this world, and so there's many of us that stand on the side of like, you know, I'm not wearing that mask, I'm going to stand up, and, you know, the vaccine is the mark of the beast and whatever. I mean, all of these things are spewing out of our mouths. And then we have the other side, and it's like, you know, don't talk to me, don't touch me, don't come near me, you know, we're quarantined, we're going to follow the rules. How is it that we as Christians, as Adventist Christians, how is it that we can be as harmless as dove and yet as wise as serpents, right? Because we don't want to lose precious opportunities to minister to people. And if some people feel like you can't touch and you can't go near them and you've got to wear that mask and you've got to disinfect or whatever, I don't want to lose the opportunity to minister to them by demanding that I have my rights and I'm not going to wear that mask. Do you see the difference? Right? I want to share with you something. It's an amazing quote. Listen to this. This is my, this is my uh, code of conduct. I shall ask God mercifully to protect me. Then I'll fumigate. I'll help purify the air. I'll administer medicine and take it. I will avoid places and persons where my presence is not needed in order to become contaminated and thus perchance inflict and pollute others as a result of my negligence. If God should wish to take me, he shall surely find me. And I have done what he has asked me to do. If my neighbor needs me, however, I will not avoid place or person, but will go freely. You see, this is such a God-fearing faith because it is neither brash nor foolhardy and does not tempt God. Isn't that beautiful? Do you know who wrote that? Martin Luther. Martin Luther back in the bubonic plague, and he wrote it in a letter to Reverend Dr. John Hess. Wow, that's amazing to me. Is that worthy of an amen? I don't know. Okay, all right. (laughs) All right, so here we are. Back again. So Luke chapter 21 and verse 11. And great earthquakes shall be in diverse places and famines and pestilences and fearful signs and great signs shall there be from heaven. Isn't that the time in which we're living now? And so it was a, a year ago, March, I checked myself in to meet ministries over in East 
Tennessee. I had some time off, and all of a sudden, the world shut down. I was like, really? You know, here I was tucked into a wonderful place. I had everything that I needed, and I had just come back from Thailand. And before that, it was in South America. And, and to see the whole world completely shut down, I was like, really? Now, when 9-11 happened, and I don't know if everybody was there, but, you know, anyone who's 19 and under, you weren't even born yet, or many of you were probably very young. But I remember when 9-11 hit, there was a panic that came through me, and I was living in Orlando, Florida. I was cutting hair in my shop. Uh, My ex-lover was my business partner at the time. There was a lot of stuff going on. But that was when the message hit me that I needed to get out of the city, because if something happened, I would be trapped in Orlando, Florida, and not be able to get out. Two years later, I moved to uh, Tennessee, into the country, and uh, my friends from Orlando that were in our Bible studies, they moved with me, and so I was there just waiting for Jesus to come. I got bags of beans. I learned how to do organic gardening. I canned tomatoes and peaches and applesauce and put them up on my shelves. I got, let's see, I had a king-size bed, a queen-size bed, a full-size bed, and two twin beds, and a sofa bed because, of course, there would be company that would come during the time of trouble, and they would need a place to stay. So I'm stacking up all this stuff. I got extra gasoline. I put it all in my house, and I was making my preparation for the time of trouble. Can I get a witness? It's okay, I won't expose you. So, all right, so then all of a sudden after I've lived in Tennessee for 16 years, the Lord said, no, Mike, I've got other work for you to do. And so I had to sell my house, get rid of all that furniture and those beans and those canned goods. And I recognize now that so many times, rather than listening to God, I find that I make decisions on my own, thinking that they're the right things to do when God's got other plans. I'm grateful that he winks at my ignorance, but I'm also grateful that in spite of my ignorance, he continues to lead me if I'll just submit my will to him. So when 9-11 happened, I was in shock, and I was desperate, and I was this desperate little man trying to get out of Orlando, Florida, and and he got me out. It took three and a half years, and and it was definitely a walk of faith. So now here when COVID-19 hits, something changed for me, and while I was sitting there in in, uh, near Memphis, Tennessee, as I was sitting there at this lifestyle center, I was surprised and go, wait a minute, I have to check myself. Why am I not in shock? I was concerned, but I wasn't desperate. And there was a piece that came over me because I thought to myself, you know what? I hear a lot of prognostications. I hear a lot of people, you know, saying that, oh, you know, the banks are going to collapse and everything's going to fall apart and then this is going to happen and then there's not going to be any more gas and we're going to be left out and the utilities will be cut off and the Sunday law. Well, wait a minute, because every time I make statements like that, My neighbors are listening, my fellow members of church are listening, and when those don't come true, then guess what? I lose my power of influence, because it's like, oh yeah, that's Mike, making another prophecy, and then when it doesn't come true, then guess what? I've lost my ability to have any influence. I've decided on my own that my new new resolution, or my new way now to conduct myself is to mark the way marks, because isn't that what God gives us? It's not my job to predict the future. It's not my job to predict what's coming, but it is my responsibility and my privilege and an honor to read the word of God. And when those way marks hit, I can say, that's right. When COVID-19 hit the world, Luke chapter 21 started to be fulfilled. It's in the middle of fulfillment. Does that make sense? Because no longer am I prophesying about things that may or may not happen, but I can honestly count the way marks. And if I put my faith in the way marks that are coming, then the good news is that I'm not in panic. That's right. God said it was going to happen and it happened. And so guess what? That means I'm going to see Jesus soon. 
That's what filled my heart a year ago. It's like, wow, I'm going to see Jesus soon. And you know what? I, I was staying with a young couple in Austria, and they were just a, a real pleasure. They were so godly. It's, it's wonderful to see godly young people. Old people, eh, you know, our lives are over. We really have nothing else. But to see a young person in love with Jesus and professing this faith, it was really empowering to somebody old like me. So here I was. We were, we were taking a walk. I had just arrived at their home, and we're taking a walk at night because, um, because it was dark. And as we're walking, I was sharing with them this thought that I had. I said, you know what? Pretty soon we're going to see Jesus. Isn't that exciting? You know, marking the way marks. And all of a sudden, this young man said something to me that was shattering, earth shattering. He said, you know what, Mike? He said, that means that pretty soon there'll be no more sin. (gasps) Did that hit you the same way that it hit me? Wait a minute. Do you really understand what he was saying? He said that pretty soon... That means that sin will never be again. And my mouth kind of hung over and I go, wait a minute. I think of, I think of all heaven standing there and looking at our situation and our scene. And, and you know, sin only exists on this pathetic little planet that the whole universe is watching. Don't you think that the whole universe is waiting for that day as well? They're like, listen, we're ready for this to be over. We're ready for sin to be over so that we can get along, get on with business, right? And when I think about that, that I think about the fact that, you know what, if I believe this, this lie that I'm going to be sinning until Jesus comes, then I'm going to miss the boat because when sin is over, it's still going to be on me. Isn't that right? So my prayer now is, Lord, help me to hate sin perfectly. What do you think? Amen. Lord, help me to hate sin perfectly. And so that's had an effect on my life. And if anything, ever since I started that prayer a few months ago, now I see my unworthiness even more. I see my inadequacies. I see my frailties. And, and, and I recognize that even more, I have, to, I have to rely on a Savior that has the power and strength to give me overcoming victory as I learn to hate sin perfectly. Great Controversy, page 563 and 564, has a very sobering quote. Ellen White says, Satan also works through the forces of nature to gather his harvest of unprepared people. He has studied the secrets of nature's laboratory. That sounds cynical, doesn't it? Or sinister. He uses all his power to rule over the elements. But here's a promise, guys. Only as far as God will allow. While this is a very difficult quote for many people, I want to point out the promises that are laid in there for people like us that follow God's commandments. She goes on and she says, one accident followed the other in quick succession. Get ready because it's going to get worse. If you think that you're restricted by a face mask, that's nothing. And if you have struggles and if you're defiant over a face mask, then how are you going to stand when it really gets tough? It says, it is God who cares for his created beings and protects them from the power of the destroyer. But the Christian world has shown contempt for God's law. Who? It's not the heathens in this world. Isn't that interesting? It's the Christian world that has shown contempt for God's law. The Lord will do exactly what he has declared he will do. He will withdraw his blessings from the earth and remove his protective care. Ooh, that's frightening. But wait a minute, there's a promise in here. He will remove his protective care from those who rebel against his law and teach and compel others to do so. Satan has power over everyone whom God does not protect in a special way. You want God's protection? Get into his word. 
and follow his word. Isn't that right? And keep his law. While appearing before men as a great physician who can cure all their diseases, he will bring about sickness and disaster so that the rich cities are ruined and depopulated. I have a colleague that lives in in the Bronx in New York City. Joyce, where are you? Joyce, are you here? All right, she's either very quiet or she's not here. Anyway, my friend Joyce also came from New York. So anyway, my friend Kezia lives in New York City in the Bronx. And when the lockdown came, all the stores shut, all the restaurants were closed. There were people that were trapped in their high-rise apartment buildings. And you know what? It devastated New York City. It devastated all of the large cities that were dependent upon like restaurants being open and stores being open, commerce. And you know, as I spent six months in Europe, when I would be in Stockholm, when I would be in um, um, other places, other large cities like Munich in Germany and stuff, you saw all the stores boarded up and closed. You saw last season styles sitting in the windows and nobody there. And you could walk down these huge streets and there was nobody there. In Holland, in the Netherlands, in Denmark, everything dark as a pocket. We know, we can see that the way marks are hitting, that we can see that these things are happening in our world today. I don't have to prognosticate about what's coming because we have things that are sitting right here that are getting our attention. She goes on and she says, Already Satan is in business. In accidents and disasters at sea and on land, in large fires and huge cyclones, terrible storms, floods, tides and earthquakes... In all places and in countless forms, Satan exercises his power. He sweeps away ripening crops with famine and misery as a result. He adds to the air a deadly component and thousands perish through it. These hauntings will become more and more common and more devastating. That picture on the left is from Paradise, California. Remember when that burnt down? I had several friends. There's a lot of Adventists in that community. And they told me about, uh, one friend in particular said, you know what, there was the warning that we needed to leave. And so, you know, my family and I, we said, oh, let's go see, the, let's go see our grandparents a couple of hours away. And we'll, we'll come back on Monday. So they packed up just a couple of days of clothes and they left. Eight hours later, their house was completely gone, engulfed in flames. They left just on time. Another story that I heard was a woman was in her car trying to flee. The traffic was so bad she couldn't move. The street was on fire. Fire on both sides and the street was on fire. She started to smell smoke filling up her car. She was on the phone with her husband. He said, just get out of that car. Just run. Just run. If you can't drive, just get out of your car and just run to the next car. She ran to the next car. She got into the back seat. And the person that was in the car, she told her, you know, she said, what are you doing? And she said, I I just had to leave my car. My husband said, if your car fills with smoke, just get out. And that car started to fill with smoke. And the woman's pants were on fire and started to catch the backseat of the car on fire. I mean, these women were sitting in their own coffin. And so the woman in the back seat, she said, I have to get out. And the woman in front said, I'm too afraid to. I'm going to stay in my car. She got out and she left. She ran until the smoke, uh, all of a sudden the smoke was so thick and she ran into a fire truck and she knocked and somebody pulled her into the fire truck. And what was miraculous is that there was a bulldozer that moved all of the cars in front of the fire truck so that the fire truck could get out. That woman actually lived. This is what's going on, brothers and sisters. I remember when I got out of that health retreat I remember on my way there that Nashville had been destroyed by a storm, a cyclone that had come through. And then on my way through Chattanooga, on my way to Florida, Chattanooga was hit with a devastating storm. And a a friend of mine, her house was completely leveled as well. All of this is going on. We are seeing the Waymarks, brothers and sisters. 
They're happening. But this isn't a time to panic. This is a time to draw near to your redemption. Isn't that right? We know that it's coming. This is not a time to be panicked and to be putting out all kinds of things out there. This is the time to be lifting up Jesus and to recognize that my identity is in who? Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, so 9-11. We are living in the last time, in the time of the end. I remember back in 2001, I was doing Bible studies with my Colombian family, and, and we were reading these quotes, and I was shocked. Did you know it's on the ninth volume of the Testimonies, page 11? Stop. What else do you need, right? It goes on, it says, We are living in the time of the end. The fast-fulfilling signs of the times declare that the coming of Christ is near at hand. The days in which we live are solemn and important. The Spirit of God is gradually but surely being withdrawn from the earth. Plagues and judgments are already falling upon the despisers, the despisers of the grace of God. The calamities by land and sea, the unsettled state of society. Hmm, how about that? That one just hit me. The unsettled state of society. How about the fact that while I was in Europe, I watched the election go down. I watched the attack on the Capitol building. I watched the attitudes and the, and the, uh, the polarization of the people. And you know what? We're an embarrassment to Europe and to other countries outside of the U.S. As a matter of fact, I was sitting there thinking, I'm really not ready to go back to the United States. But I had to come because I had other engagements. And so as I was watching all this unfolding and everybody watches us with a single eye, Adventists watch us around the world exceptionally close because they know that the events that are going to happen in the United States, they're watching to see how they happen. They watch our government much more than many of us who have the freedom to vote. But the rest of the world also watches us because our money is also tied to the money around the world. So if we collapse, then guess what? The whole world collapsed. Everybody is watching us and you may not know that. You may think that we are just among ourselves and that what we do and how we act in this country, that we act into ourselves. But that's not true. We are in a looking glass. We are like a fishbowl. So again, we know that there are issues going on in our world that are frightening. You know, if I make an opinion, if I make a statement, I could be automatically put into a category where I not only am minimized and marginalized, but we as Christians have lost our voice as well. And I'm going to talk about that a little bit. Um, I'm going to talk about that tomorrow about how Christianity now is really the ones that are marginalized and minimalized. And so here we are. We know that, that uh, the alarms of war are portentous. The forecasting approaching events of the greatest magnitude. The agencies of evil are combining their forces and consolidating. They are strengthening for the last great crisis. Great changes are soon to pl- take place in our world, and the final movements will be rapid one. Let me bring you back to another reality check because four years ago when Trump was elected a president, my mouth just dropped open. I'm like, really? I mean, and I saw the state of of the situation about how late-term abortion, you know, a a baby, with late-term abortion, a baby can be born and the mother say, "Mm, I really don't want it. And they terminate it. That's how far late-term abortion is. And I didn't want that. And then on the other side, you have people that are completely immoral running and you have to decide which is the best one you know, to basically advance your causes. And if you chose to vote, which I believe we've been given great counsel that we shouldn't vote for people, we should vote for issues. But still in my desperation, I thought I'd better throw my vote towards the one that I think is going to avoid late-term abortion. And then to have this joke as a president, do you know how people laugh at us? And then to see the election going on and, 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 and to see how things terminated or, or, or ended up with, with of course, uh, President Biden coming in and the issue with the electoral votes and all of that stuff. Again, as a Christian, 
How do I want to represent myself so that I can still have influence on people? I have family members that are staunch Democrats. I have other friends that are staunch Republicans. And I recently realized this. And through some wise counsel from Ellen White, and I can't quote it for you, but I do know this. She said, you know what? I belong to a different government. Come on now. This is not my government. He is not my president. My king is Jesus Christ, right? And of course, we are told that we have to follow the laws as far as they go so that we can worship our God the way that he asks us to. And so guess what? Now I've determined that, you know what? I'm not Republican or Democrat. My kingdom is Jesus Christ. My kingdom is coming. My, my eyes are fixed on the king because when my eyes are fixed on the king, then guess what? I don't have a political opinion. And what that does is that keeps me neutral enough to where I might be able to minister to my friends that are, that are dead set Democrats or dead set Republicans because if I don't have an opinion and if I don't get into those debates, then I have an opportunity to lift up my savior because my identity is in Jesus Christ. Isn't that right? Let's go on. So in Luke chapter 17, verses 26 and 27, it says, And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the Son of Man. Now, I'm going to take what you were sharing, David, and I've got a little bit of a different perspective, but I think that God uses us to bring it as a whole. Is that okay? So again, in verse 27, they ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Boom. That's a sad, sobering reality, isn't it? that only eight people survived a world that was just completely filled with sin. And, you know, I'm sure that there were other what would be called Christians or Adventists living at that time. But how is it that we could miss that boat? Did you know, like, come this afternoon, because I'm going to talk about um, this miracle. All right, I'm not going to share it. You'll have to come back, because we have plenty to talk about today anyway. But please come back. There was something amazing that happened when the animals were coming onto the ark that you may not even realize. I didn't until I did this research. But there's something that you need to know. But the people had ample evidence to know that they needed to get on that boat. And still they didn't. How many of us are going to make it on that boat to the heavenly kingdom, right? I was recently at a wedding. The restrictions lessened up a little bit, and so my colleagues and I, we went to a wedding, and we were in, uh, it was in the month of June, and we flew to this wedding, and we were sitting there, we were so excited to see this brother and sister getting married, it was beautiful. Listen, I've been in the beauty industry for over 30 years, do you know how many weddings I've helped to do? Do you know how many weddings I've gone to of my clients and my friends and family and that kind of stuff? And so I've been to so many weddings. I've been to secular weddings. I've been to religious weddings. I've been to weddings that were like posh and expensive where millions of dollars were spent. And I've been to weddings that were basically um, at a river, you know, where, where they didn't have any money and it was a potluck. But I'm at this wedding and I'm sitting there and I'm realizing now that the, that the events of the world are really cataclysmically coming together. And what was so sad to me is that here I am at an Adventist wedding and I had to constantly remind myself, wait a minute, I'm at an Adventist wedding. There was dancing. There was secular music. They were doing a, 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 a Zumba, a, a, I don't know what it's called, but a, a train, you know, a people train, where they're all going around and picking up people. And then the brother made a toast to the bride. And he made this sexual innuendo, and not just one, several sexual innuendo jokes. And even in secular weddings, I've seen more respect and more reverence for God than I was seeing that day. And I was shocked to the point where I had to get up and leave. I had to get up and leave an Adventist wedding because I was exposed to things that I had determined in my heart that I was not going to think about anymore. 
I'm not a prude. <laughs> I'm certainly not perfect, and I don't pr- represent myself that way. But I also know that I need to guard my heart from some the things that we're exposed to. So we know that things are happening in our world, and there's an infiltration coming on. As a matter of fact, I was invited to speak at a university. I don't, I don't even know if I can say the name, but I was invited to speak at a university. They won't allow coming out ministries to speak to the student body, but they'll, elect, they'll allow me to come and speak to the religion department. For the last four years, I speak to a human sexuality class. We show our movie, our documentary. I hope you've seen it. And so as we share our documentary and we talk about our experience, a biblical coming to Jesus and identifying in Jesus Christ, and yet the student body had a week of prayer and they snuck in a speaker who was openly gay, an openly gay celebrate, uh, celibate pastor came in. I get a phone call in my car as I'm driving to the university from a student whose brother is gay. And she's desperate for her brother to find that healing through Jesus Christ. And she called me and she goes, what is going on? My university just had an openly gay pastor sit there and talk about that. If we don't accept LGBT acceptance, that we're all going to burn in hell. I'm like, I have no idea. I go, I have never been invited to speak at the week of prayer. So I alerted the religion department and they didn't realize that one of the student chaplains actually invited this person and snuck this in as a speaker. When I leave here tomorrow, I have to leave immediately as soon as we're over. And I'm heading to Andrews University, but I'm not allowed to speak at Andrews University. I've been escorted off of the campus, not once but twice, as we were given the ability to speak. But, But our message is not welcome there. But they have two openly LGBT groups in on that campus. As a matter of fact, every every university, every Adventist university campus has an LGBT group, except for Oakwood. Is that amazing? And so Coming Out Ministries isn't allowed to present there, so we're doing the next best thing. We're having a week-long convocation at the church across the street from Andrews University. It's going to be amazing. And so I'm hustling my way to get there tomorrow so that I can join my colleagues and to share there But do you see the temperature of what's going on in our world today? This is not the time to become weak and faint. This is the time to really determine to make sure that we hate sin perfectly. Luke chapter 17, 28. Likewise, in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. That's a lot of, you know, conservative things, right? Your your, uh, vegan gardens and this kind of stuff. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained down fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. What I find interesting is there are many principles in our Adventist faith that are, that are being brought down. Even before I was baptized as a Seventh-day Adventist, I, I was um, already taking uh, medication that was lowering my cholesterol. My father died of massive heart failure at 68. My dad had open-heart bypass at 54. You know, my, all my family's diabetic. My, my mother, my father, both my grandparents, and two of my sisters, and one of my sisters is borderline. So diabetes is really rampant in my family. But this lady, before I was even baptized, she made a comment that if you want to lower your cholesterol naturally, if you go to a plant-based diet, you can actually lower your cholesterol. And you know, that night I went out and had a bacon double cheeseburger and a big milkshake, and that was my last supper. (laughs) But I believe that the Holy Spirit was already cleaning my mind out because I went through this terrible withdrawal. And when I came back, it was the very last night of the meeting. But because I was cleaning out all the cheese and the dairy and the meat... And all those things out of my system, I heard the Holy Spirit that night and I was able to stand up and I was baptized the next day. 
That didn't mean that my journey was over. It was just beginning, and it was a mess. I was a glorified mess, but you know what? That diet helped me. It wasn't my salvation, but I needed communication with the Holy Spirit, and when my mind was clear, I was able to hear him, and he was able to do incredible things in my life. And so unfortunately now, I see Adventists breaking down and drinking wine. I see pastors, I go to pastors' conferences and retreats, and they, they order a big chicken or a big steak or whatever, and they, they, they basically say, oh yeah, you know, I'm vegan at home, but when I come out, you know, out to a restaurant, I eat meat. I start to see these principles are not breaking down our salvation. They're just breaking down our ability to, again, remember that my identity is in who? Jesus Christ. Philippians 2, verse 12. Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not just in my presence alone, but now much more in my absence. Do you get this? Like I wanted the quote that says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. But the Lord gave me the whole verse. And this, this is even much better than I expected. It says, obey me, not just as when you're in public and people are watching you, but do you obey me in private when nobody's watching? Do you get what I'm saying? Because I'm sure that that hits a lot of people. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. doesn't mean you have to do it alone, but he's just saying be committed. Be clear about what your direction is. If you're at least clear about your direction, then you have something to aim for. But if you're always looking to basically find a way to just kind of fudge your salvation, then unfortunately we'll find ourselves on the other side, right? Did you ever see a child, raise your hand if you're a parent, right? Did you ever see a child holding onto a parent's hand and the kid just wants to get as far away from their parent as they possibly can? You know, what are they doing? You know, they're hanging onto their father's hand, but they're, you know, they're just trying to reach out, right? See how far they can get. Do you think that that's enjoyable for the parent? No kid doesn't like it much either. And I believe that many times in our Christian experience, that's what we're trying to do. Yeah, Lord, I'm hanging on to your hand, but can I, can I have a glass of wine? Can I, can I eat that chicken? You know, like, how about some cheesy fries, you know? And, and, and again, I'm the same. I, you know, I'm constantly dealing with God and say, Lord, you know, can I have at least a boyfriend? You know, if, what if we're both Christians? Would that be acceptable to you? And somebody gave me an enlightenment, and I want to give this to you. Here's the problem with identifying as a gay Christian. And this is a term now that our, that our seminary at Andrews University has termed as, as acceptable. They're saying that we have to use contemporary terms to relate to people. Well, I don't mind contemporary terms as long as they're biblical. But when you allow the term gay Christian, then basically what you're saying is like in a monogamous gay relationship, that God's okay with that. Well, you know what? That's like, a, that's like a robber coming into your house and stealing your TV, but he made your bed before he left. Do you get what I'm saying? Work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Be very clear about the direction that you're going. Brothers and sisters, this is not your parents' religion. And you know, that hit really hard for me. Because there's a lot of us that are going through the motions. You know, we have traditional Adventism, which I think is really sold us out in many respects because you know what? We were raised Adventists. We're raised to have a a nice Sabbath lunch and then afterwards we go on a hike or we do something special with our parents and we're used to all those traditions but are the principles really in our heart? Have you decided that the principles of Adventism are really for you? Or are you just going through the motions of your traditions? Wasn't that the issue that the Jews had? Wasn't that the problem? That they had traditions but they really didn't know who their Savior was. Ah, how many times do young people come up to me and they go, you know what, Mike, I wish I had your life. 
I wish I had 20 years to live in total debauchery and total sin or whatever, because then I would really appreciate the merits of my Savior. I go, really? Because a lot of times, young Adventists, they think, you know what, I've, I've kept myself pure, I've done dress reform, you know, uh, I don't do this, I don't do that, I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't do all these things or whatever, but they're really missing an experience with Jesus Christ. And I look at them, and I'm not kidding. Sometimes tears come in my eyes because they say, you know what, you're the exception. I said, my story's a dime a dozen. There are people like me all over the world. I think that it takes more of the Holy Spirit to hold a young person together in a world where you are constantly being invited to partake of all of this evil that's in the world and for a young person to actually dedicate themselves to Jesus Christ at 10 years old or 12 years old and to walk according to the principles, it's going to take a whole lot more of the Holy Spirit to hold you together than it did for me to fall apart and come back to God. And when the Holy Spirit holds you together and it's difficult and it's not that pleasant sometimes and it stands in the face of, of, of adversity when you have to live in this world that is constantly bombarding you with identity and sexuality and all this garbage that's on your phones. But let me tell you something. The devil has less to tempt you with because I've got 20 years of history and memory that the devil throws at me on a constant basis. You want that? Let the Holy Spirit guide you. Let him hold you together because there's something so much better that is just on the horizon if you'll just wait a little bit longer, right? This is not your parents' religion. It has to be your experience. It has to be a decision that you make. And if you're an Adventist Christian that has been going through the motions and you're feeling like your life is not that that full or whatever, then dig your heels in a little bit deeper and make a full commitment to God and let him change your life. In Romans chapter 14 and verse 5, it says, let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. And I believe that that's when the ceiling comes. When you are fully convinced in your own mind that this is either your religion or your parents' religion, then the Lord can seal us. Isn't that frightening? I want to tell you the story about Jacques. Jacques was a young man that I'd met. His father was a pastor. His mother was a nurse. They kept the computer in the family room so that they could monitor what their children were watching. They sent their children to Adventist education. Jacques was seven years old, just seven years old, when he went to school, and his best friend printed out a computer piece of paper of pornography, and that hooked him. At seven years old. So at seven years old, in secret, Jacques was accessing the family computer when everybody was sleeping so that he could watch the pornography. Eventually, he grew up. He went to Andrews University. He also went to Southern University. And he said, I never had to pay for sex because there were always girls willing to have sex. There'd be a young girl playing the guitar at Vespers on Friday night, and she was sending pictures of herself topless to his roommate. Jacques eventually left Adventism. He went into the army. He said he was hooked on sexual addiction, pornography, also uh, prostitution. And the Lord still was able to touch his heart and bring him back in. Amazing. Story of Kezia. I was in Cuba on a mission trip. And this young girl, she's a young architect, and she was giving powerful presentations to a different church every night in Cuba. And she was talking about the sanctuary and talking about the process of the sanctuary. But she was... She was bisexual, addicted sexually, and addicted to pornography. And while Coming Out Ministries was there in our, in our worship time in the morning, she confessed to me that she had this addiction. And I looked at her, this young, beautiful, vibrant woman dedicated to God. And I said, well, you know what the Bible says about sex, don't you? And she said, well, not really, because nobody's talking about it. Church doesn't talk about it. 
Family doesn't talk about it. Nobody talks about it. All we hear is YouTube in our ear. And so me and my friends, we just think it's okay. This is what's going on in our church today. And while it is important to guard the innocence of our children, we also have to prepare them to live in a really dirty and defiled world. And so you can keep your kid in a cave and you can lock them in the room and you can take away the TV. But if you don't teach them how to use these things responsibly, if you don't educate your children about the evils that are in the world, then you have not done your job of preparing them to live in this world. Testimonies on sexual behavior, adultery and divorce. Page 81, it says, the power and influence of God's law are all around, but not within our soul. Renewing it in true holiness. Therefore, the Lord sends his appeals to those to urge upon them the practice of what is right. The appeals of his spirit are neglected and rejected. The barriers are broken down. The soul is weak for want of moral force to overcome, is polluted and debased. They are binding themselves up as bundles ready to be consumed in the last day. Is there an Aiken in the camp? Have we allowed this thing to come into our tents and to defile the people of God? And I'm not just talking to the men. Unfortunately, I had young, beautiful women in Austria coming up to me, tears coming down their face, knowing that they weren't ready to be wives and mothers while they were addicted to pornography. It's shocking that this thing is so defiling that even women are addicted to this, this heinous crime. Testimonies on sexual behavior, adultery, and divorce. Page 84 says, Satan's repetitious plot. Near the close of this earth's history, Satan will work with what? Not some. All his powers in the same manner and with the same temptations wherewith he tempted ancient Israel just before they're entering the land of promise. That should get your attention. Ellen White is giving us a clue. She's saying, listen, the same thing they did before, he's going to do it again with all of his power. It should, get, it should grab your attention, shouldn't it? Shouldn't that be what we focus on? Shouldn't that be what we're talking about? Shouldn't that be the, the areas that we focus on for people to have overcoming victory? If we know what's coming, brothers and sisters, we can prepare. But if you want to stick your head in the ground and pretend like it doesn't happen or it doesn't exist in your family, then unfortunately, we're not going to be ready. She's letting us know. She goes on, she says, He will lay snares for those who claim to keep the commandments of God and for those of us who are almost on the heavenly Canaan. He will use his powers to their utmost to order to, in order to entrap souls and to take God's professed people upon their weakest points. Those who have not brought their lower passions into subjection to the higher powers of their being, those who have allowed their minds to flow in a channel of carnal indulgence of the baser passions, Satan is determined to destroy with his temptations, to pollute your soul with licentiousness. The enemy's number one goal and if the church continues to bury their head in the sand and act like it doesn't exist, then you are actually aiding and abetting the enemy to destroy our youth. Well, it wouldn't be fair for me to talk about the, the problem without the solution. And one of the things that I find so remarkable is that Covenant Eyes is, is a accountability resource that you can put on all of your devices. It's on my, my laptop, it's on my phone, it's on my uh, iPad, it's on all of my devices that I have access to the Internet. And while if somebody wants to access pornography, you can still do it through these websites. However, if you're sincerely looking for help, if you're sincerely looking for a way out, these accountability can help keep you from tunneling out of control and spiraling into porn addiction again and sex addiction because it doesn't stop there. 
Pornography leads to other things. They did an interview with Ted Bundy. Ted Bundy. Anyone remember Ted Bundy? Young people may not. Ted Bundy was a serial killer and he killed countless amounts of women all across the United States. He was interviewed the night before he was put to death in his jail by um, a, a, a Christian pastor. And basically, Ted Bundy said this. He said, the problem for me began with pornography. He said, I didn't start off to be a serial killer. He said, but as I was looking at pornography, I always needed something more. I always needed something beyond the porn to stimulate him. And eventually, it led him to this. He said this. He said this. And he died back in the 80s. But he said this. He said, if people are allowed access to the inner or to pornography more, he said, you'll see more people like me all the time. My sister lives in the Keys. And there was a woman there in her 90s. Jesus is coming soon. Isn't that right? Isn't that what we say? Jesus is coming soon. Okay. <laughs> you guys are afraid for what's coming next. Yes, it's okay. Yes, Jesus is coming soon, right? Okay, so this woman, she's in her 90s. And she said, I'm a third generation Adventist. My grandmother said it. My mother said it. We all said, Jesus is coming soon. Well, when the COVID hit her area, and when we've seen the, the progression of LGBT acceptance and the promotion in these laws, not just in the United States, but around the world, she said, I'm not saying Jesus is coming soon anymore. She said, Jesus is just plain coming. And my sister said she had to stop. She couldn't even speak for a few minutes as she contemplated what this woman was saying. She's lived almost a 100 years, and the things that she's seen more recently, she knows that Jesus isn't coming soon anymore. He's coming. Isn't that right? Isn't it time to hate sin perfectly, brothers and sisters? Isn't it time to put down those things that you've been playing with for a while? And I include myself in that because there are areas still that I'm in that process of perfection, but I've got to be determined that that's my goal if I'm going to get there. I want to close with 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 2 to 11. David says, For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. Brothers and sisters, it's coming, and we can survive it. We can ride this. Because God has given us opportunities to understand what the scriptures say and to know what's happening in our world today. And because David started it and I'm here to, to, to continue it, God must really want you to know the days in which we're living. Isn't that right? It's time to have our eyes open. It's time to be determined about what we want. But you brothers are not in darkness that the day should overtake you as a thief. You are children of the light. And children of the day, we are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us be watch and be sober. And it's not just enough to call out sin, brothers and sisters, because you've done a good job of that to the point where everybody hates us. It's our job to be children of the light. You are not of the, not of the light when you're condemning people for how they live. Verses 7 and 8. For they that sleep, sleep in the night. And they that are drunk are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and a helmet and the hope of salvation. It's time to be active. It's not time to hide your beans in your basement and to not come out of your house, right? It's a time to get out there. And the Lord showed me. He said, Mike, this isn't my plan for you to board up in your house in the country and just wait for Jesus to come. 
It's time to get out there in the street and to let people know that Jesus still has the power to overcome sin. Isn't that right? But if he's not helping you overcome your sin, then what message do you have to give to the world? What right or what business do you think that you're going to do in the community if you can't even do it in your own church? If you can't experience the power of God to overcome the issues that you're struggling with, then you have nothing to give in evangelism to the world. And so Heartland Institute, make sure that you're getting it here first so that you have something to give to the world, right? And we're all included in that. Did you know that when the pandemic started, of course, pornography rose? Did you know that uh, uh, family violence also rose? You know, there's a lot of things that rose that were really bad. But did you know I went to the Dollar Tree and there were no Bibles on the shelves? I went to the Walmart and all the Bibles were gone. Because let me tell you something. There's a polarization going on in our world today that you may not be aware of. It's not just with the political climate, but also God is calling people out of those things. And you may be sitting in the church and you may be struggling with some of the things that you're going through. But remember, God is doing that work and he's polarizing the church as well as the world. I'm not able to be accepted even in my own denomination for the message that I have of God giving me the victory over homosexuality, sexual addiction, transgenderism, all of these things, right? Porn addiction. But you know something that was really miraculous is that my colleagues and I, there were 12 of us, 12 of us from Coming Out Ministries that actually went to the Freedom March back in 2019 in Orlando, Florida. Do you guys remember the Pulse shooting where 49 individuals lost their lives in a gay bar? All right? Orlando. Orlando is where I lived for 23 years. Orlando was where I came out and came into a relationship with Jesus Christ. I knew some of the individuals that were at the bar that night when those 49 people were shot. Did you know that there was two individuals that were shot and they were in ICU and the gay community was holding on to the fact that these people were about to die and they could die any moment. The LGBT community, they were, they were flooding the media with, you know, hope and, and that these people would be healed. And one of the guys, he was shot six times in the leg. He was laying down in the bathroom, the ladies' bathroom, and there were people that were already shot down. He was already shot. There was a girl that just would not stop screaming. And he begged her. He said, please, shut up or he's going to come back. He called his mother on the phone. And on the phone, he was talking to his mother and his phone battery died. And he was begging her to pray for him. And a month before the incident happened, this young man was knowing, he was praying to God. He says, I know that this is wrong for me, but I can't leave it. Lord, help me. And that night, as he's laying on the bathroom floor and the phone cut out and this girl's screaming, the shooter came back in and shot him six more times in the legs and in the back. In ICU, he struggled to get up. But he lived. He had to learn how to walk all over again. And in the process, the gay community, they kept putting the focus on them to talk about the travesty of what happened and the hate that's in our world today or whatever through this shooter or whatever. But all of a sudden, this young man remembered this promise that he made to Jesus Christ. And in his bed and in his rehab, as he was coming back to God, he said, that's it. My identity is in Jesus Christ. And he left the gay life. He now started a ministry called the Freedom March And I had the opportunity with 500 other people from other denominations march around Lake Eola in Orlando, Florida, which was only two miles from the Pulse shooting. No media was going to attend that. They didn't want to report that there are actually people who who aren't born that way that can change. But I was with 500 people in total solidarity, and we were standing on the Word of God. We were uh, Catholics, Baptists. 
Protestant, New Agers, but we were all in unison for the very first time in my ministry. I could stand with people that were on the same word of God and I got a taste of what the latter rain is all about. I can't even experience that in my own church. And yet here I was with 500 people experiencing the love of Jesus. We are not children of the darkness. It's time to get rid of those outdated attitudes about LGBT people and about people that you ostracize or that you hate or whatever your experience is with them. When you're children of the light, we've got something more to give. It's not enough to just sit back and wait for Jesus to come. The woman that you see here with her son was an ex-lesbian that came into uh, Sabbath understanding. Uh, She was a lesbian. She was molested as a child. She was given up for adoption. She had a mother that was bipolar. She was a mess. And yet she also came into the truth of Jesus Christ. And that's her son that's got um, Down syndrome. And uh, she was pregnant with him. And the doctors told her that she should abort because they knew it was Down syndrome. But she held on to Jesus' principle and she raised her son. She was there walking with us as well. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 9 to 11. For God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation. By who? Our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, that we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also you do. It's not my job to tear you down. It's my job to lift you up. It's my job to point you to Jesus Christ. If I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. And so many people ask me, well, how can I save my gay brother or my gay sister? How can I help influence, you know, my gay neighbor or my gay father? Listen, it's none of your business who they sleep with. It is your business, though, to lift up Jesus Christ. And you know what? Heterosexuals don't get an automatic into heaven just because you're straight. I hope you get my point. And so it's about focusing on Jesus Christ. And you know what? Let the Holy Spirit do his job because he's very good at it. And if you'll just point people to Jesus and you point people to Jesus by the way that you treat them, by the way that you love them and take care of them. And there were people that were willing to do that for me. I want to talk about my Colombian friends, Gladys and Ezekiel. They had a young daughter. She was 10 years old. They were very conservative. They all wore dresses. They, they ate the peas and carrots. And, 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 and they lived in a low-income housing project. And they didn't have much money. He was a painter, and his wife stayed home and homeschooled her daughter. They had very little. I was a hotshot hairdresser doing hair for television people. I had a convertible Mercedes. And I was a Christian now. And I was walking with Jesus Christ. And the Lord brought me out of my relationship with my boyfriend. But I wasn't sure about whether I was going to stay or not. I had two friends. They were also coming out of the gay life. One was a a big black man with huge muscles. The other guy was a skinny little Puerto Rican guy named Ruben, and he was kind of like Gilligan from Gilligan's Island, if you can imagine that. And so the three of us hung out. And you can imagine, wherever we went to church, we got a lot of attention. And I'm sure that people talked. But this couple, they invited Ruben, the Puerto Rican, into their living room on Sunday nights to study the Bible. And all of a sudden, one night, my friend Ruben called and he said, Hey, Mike. I went to this Bible study, you know, Sunday night at, at, at my friend's house. You should come. And I thought, mm, Bible study Sunday night? I don't think so. And he said, well, they give us food. And I said, okay, I'm in. <laughs> and so every Sunday night, this humble couple, right? This humble couple, they gave us everything that they had. They not only fed us the word of God, but they also fed us their food. We would play games and we would take walks and we would have great discussions. And and they allowed us to interact with their 10-year-old daughter. 
They didn't know that we were gay. I don't know how they missed that. So one night, Gladys asked her husband, she goes, do you think they're gay? And he said, I don't know. How would I know? And she said this. She said, should we be concerned about our daughter? And he said this. He said, you know, the blood of Jesus was shed for them just like it was for us. It shouldn't matter. And she said, I'm so glad you said that because I've really learned to love them. And you know what? That little girl grew up. When I moved to Tennessee, they moved with me. They lived with me until they found their house. We lived there for 16 years. That little girl grew up. She went to uh, university. She met a boy. This boy wanted to marry her. And because of the, the relationship that we had continued for all these years, I was kind of like a uncle slash brother to her. And when this boy wanted her hand in marriage, she said this. If you want to marry me, you have to ask my father and my Carducci for permission. That is being a child of the light. Isn't that what it's all about? And they are an example of that still to me. That couple has two children. They call me uncle. You know, I'm the farthest thing from being a relative to them. Our backgrounds are completely different. But for the last 20 years, they've invested in me and gave, given me a place where I can find safety, accountability, the truth of God, and also incredible compassion and love. Isn't that what we should be focusing on, brothers and sisters, rather than our differences? Whose salvation is it anyway? It's mine first. But then you should matter after that. This is going to blow you away, and then I'm going to stop, I promise. I'm sure I'm over. See, David, that's the difference between you and me. I didn't even care about the time. But anyway, here, here's the situation. We were invited to speak in Pasadena. We were invited to speak to this church, and they wanted to open it up to the community. Well, we knew that the LGBT community was going to be up in arms. As a matter of fact, this is a little-known fact, but the gay-affirming group within Adventism found out that we were going to speak there, and what they did is they called the LGBT community of Pasadena, and they said, you don't want this event to happen. You need to get out there, and you need to protest. It was the second time they've done it to Coming Out Ministries. But anyway, this Filipino church with this wonderful pastor. The pastor was so humble. You couldn't tell if he was the pastor or the janitor. The conference even told him, you should shut down this program because already was getting on the news that the Pasadena church was going to have an ex-gay group present. And the pastor said this. He said, I'm sorry, but my church has spoken and they're moving forward with this. My hands are tied. I can't, I can't cancel this. So Coming Out Ministries goes there. I'm there with my colleague Wayne at the time, and, and I'm sitting there, and um, we told them. We said, you know, we've always known that at one day we'll, we would have protests, and we said we wanted to have umbrellas ready and water in case they were thirsty or maybe it was raining. But let me tell you something, brothers and sisters. This church, they upped us. They upped the ante. They had hot chocolate donuts and water available for them. And they went out to them and they had umbrellas ready. And these little, these little old ladies in their, in their Sabbath best, you know, and these little Filipino ladies went up to some of the protesters on Sabbath. And then they said, listen, if you get tired, come in. You can have a seat. You know, you're hungry. We got some food for you. Right? They said, you know, if you want to come and listen, you can. But, you know, it's okay. Even the head elder went out and talked to some of the protesters. The night before, we were interviewed by NBC, and they actually aired this, this part on, the, on television talking about how this ex-gay group was coming. So we got a lot of notoriety and attention. 
So the next day, of course, the protesters were there. And I remember holding up my ties. And I remember looking at my ties and just thinking, let's see, which tie do I want to wear today if I'm going to get a bullet in the back of the head? It's possible. But you know what? God had other plans that day. And while the protests were going on outside this church, inside the church, there was a couple. There was a gay male couple, and they had a five-year-old daughter. And they were there from 9.30 in the morning until 7.30 at night when we were completed. And you could see the look of conviction on their face the whole entire day. There was a carload of four men that came up that were identified as gay, but they had come from a history of Adventism. And they came up and they heard our presentations and they were very defensive until the end of the day. And this young man that you see, the man with the hat playing the piano, that was after lunch that day. He was playing the piano. The ladies were singing. They were inviting him back in. This brother came up to us at the end of the day, and he was sobbing, sobbing. And he said, I left the church 10 years ago because I knew that there wasn't any place for me. He said, I've heard your stories. I watched your movie, and I realized that I'm no different than anybody else in your ministry. And he said, I realize now that I do belong in the church. And those four men, they drove home and they all decided that they were walking out of their gay identities and that they were going to walk into a relationship with Jesus Christ. We are children of the light. Let your light shine. Isn't that right? So this humble pastor, he went out to the, uh, to the protesters and he said, listen, we made you lunch, haystacks. And he said, we want you to come in and we want you to enjoy this lunch that we made for you. And the protester stood there and he said, my job is to hold this sign. I have to hold this sign. And the pastor looked at the brother in the eye and he said, listen, I'll hold the sign for you while you come in and eat. You're looking at the pastor holding that sign as one of the protesters came in to eat. Do you see what it's like to be a child of the light? Do you see the great responsibility? Do you see the great privilege that God has given to us to just love people? If all we do is tell them the truth about God and we don't give them the love, we are offering them nothing except judgment and criticism and cruelty and hate. And we've earned the reputation that we have. And if we don't turn this around, if we don't start showing divine compassion for these people, and that might mean you're going to have to pray and ask for divine love for these people. But unless we do that, I would go as far as to say that our salvation is not sure and they might be lost as well. Do you want eternal life? That was so pathetic. That was really the worst I've ever heard. I mean, I've been in other churches where I could see people visibly sleeping and I got a better response. Do you want eternal life? Isn't that why you're here? Isn't that why you do this? So what if the pathway was a lot more joy than you're experiencing? What if you had opportunities that God wanted to put you in, in front of people and places where you could give voice about the God that you love and the things that he's done in your life? But if he hasn't done anything in your life, it's not because he doesn't want to. It's because you're holding on to these darling little things that restricts God's ability to, right? If you want eternal life, and you recognize that there's areas in your life that maybe you haven't fully, completely given to him, I want to invite you to just stand with me because I stand with you in solidarity. That there's always things that we're struggling with. And you know what? I want to be open. I want to hate sin perfectly. And if it's your desire to hate sin perfectly, stand with me because we're all in this together. 
And you may be walking this walk for about 20, 30 years, I don't know, maybe 15 minutes. Maybe you haven't even given your heart to the Lord. But if you recognize that the power of Jesus Christ is going to hit this church and it's going to hit it big, and if you don't want to miss it, stand with me saying, Lord, help me to hate sin perfectly. And for those of you who are listening today, And for those of you who have been minimized and marginalized by the church, I'd like to apologize publicly for what the church has done to you. There was one Friday night I had left the church and apparently uh, there were other people like me, I guess, and I was in a gay bar on a Friday night. I ordered my drink. I was sitting at the bar. The gentleman beside me had his drink. Another guy walks up to the bar, orders a drink from the bartender. And when he got his drink, he said, Hey, Happy Sabbath. I know. And then all of a sudden the guy beside me said the same. Oh yeah, happy Sabbath. And of course I jumped in too. And we realized that the bartender and the three of us were all Seventh-day Adventists. We started to share the stories of how we've been rejected, how we've been kicked out of the church, situations with our parents, our family, how the church was more than happy to let our memberships go. Nobody bothered to call us. And isn't it sad that the only place that we could celebrate a happy Sabbath was in a gay bar on a Friday night? We owe that community a big apology. But the apology doesn't throw away the truth. The the apology upholds the love of God. And as we apologize for our behavior, for our cruel behavior, and it's not just to the gay community, maybe it's to the neighbor that is living with her boyfriend and has three kids. When's the last time you took a loaf of bread to them? When is the last time that you actively tried to minister to somebody and while you're hanging on to your own salvation and having your devotions, you know, all by yourself in your home, when was the last time you reached out to a neighbor and extended the light of the day? Because you decided that you wanted something more. Because you're standing with me and you recognize our frailties and our our fallen nature. Let me tell you something. The fact that we stand is an answer from the Holy Spirit. Because we're standing on our own, recognizing that we can't do it and that we failed miserably, but I can approach the one who is stronger than I could ever be on my own. Isn't that right? Pray with me if you would. Lord, do I ask that you would look down upon your congregation? And Lord, we recognize that we are yours. We recognize, Lord, that we come here because we, we, we recognize you as sovereign. We say that you're our Savior and our God. You are our Father. And, Lord, with your compassion, through your grace and through your mercy, Lord, that's why we continue to walk this walk. Many of us have lost our way and we can still be in the church. Some have had the boldness to just walk away from the church completely. And yet, Lord, some of them have walked away because of our behavior. And so, Lord, we recognize that it is our call to go out there and to minister and to evangelize the world. But, Lord, we know, we recognize that we need something greater inside of us first so that we can have something to offer somebody else. Lord, forgive us. Forgive me, Lord, for the times, for the injustices that I've done to people, for the people that are hurting out there, that I've been more consumed with my own salvation than to reach out and to help somebody else. How about the person whose husband has left her? How about the person, Lord, who is struggling with pornography addiction? How about the person that is sitting beside us, Lord, that, that, 
that is feeling attraction to the same sex or maybe they're struggling with an identity and that while the world is massaging and, and, and moving them, Lord, we sit silent in the church expecting that everybody's doing fine. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. Expose the darkness that's in our own soul, Lord, so that we might know what the person beside us is going through. Show us, Lord, the dark places that need your light to be shined in there. And as we experience your goodness and your glory, Lord, now's not the time to take sides in a political agenda. Now is time to be determined about the government that we are going to serve in for eternity. Lord, help us to keep our eyes on you. Help us to be so focused on you, Lord, that everything else just falls away. And then, Lord, as we receive that light from you, as you illuminate our faces, Lord, help us to see somebody who's also struggling in their darkness. And instead of judgment and condemnation, Lord, let us offer them, let us offer them, Lord, your salvation, your power, your grace to overcome sin. And Lord, on that day, when you come to take us home, I pray that I'm there standing there. I pray that I'm there, Lord, watching you come in the clouds of glory. But I also pray, Lord, that your kingdom would be full because of my brothers and sisters that have committed not only their way first, but then, Lord, help somebody else along the way as well. Be with us. Heal us. And save us. It's my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.